0: Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, solo sailing and fictional vehicles.
1: During that trip is what changed my life forever. It was like time travel. And um, that was it. For me, that was it. I was like, this, I have to figure out how to make this my life. What happens is it's like living in a snare drum for day in and day out. And, um, it's so loud and intense. I think the most, uh, the longest period I slept in, um, 32 days was two hours. When you start sailing, you get a full bag of luck and you get an empty bag of experience. And you're, you're like, your job is to fill up the experience bag before your luck bag runs out.
0: I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, Download, subscribe, share, leave a review. We really appreciate it. it. really helps us out. So our first guest is on an adventure filled with beauty and danger. He's sailing around the world all by himself on a boat built in the 1960s. It's an adventure that's filled with sleepless nights, remote islands, being stranded at sea, pirates, and sea shanties. This is solo sailor, sailor James. When did you really fall in love with sailing? When did this kind of become something that you wanted to do?
1: Uh, it really, really started. Um, I was pursuing a career as a like a fine artist for about a decade, and um, there are these things called artists in residencies where you, as an artist, you will you're invited to go to a place and you go there for a month or up to three months you make a body of work you have an exhibition at the end so these happen all over the world i'd done one in saint petersburg russia in january of 2014 on the island of kronstadt and um i had made a body of work and based on maritime history because the island had a rich maritime history so i was researching a lot of maritime history and then i applied for another residency and got accepted in northern Scotland on a sailboat, and um, I made a drawing machine that this wheeled platter moved beneath a fixed pin and made drawings based on the sailboat's movement at sea. And so we were sailing all throughout the the northern Isles of Scotland, the Orkney Islands, and um, I was making these abstract drawings from island to island. But during that trip is what changed my life forever. Um, sailing between all of these different islands in the Orkney Islands and visiting Neolithic sites and going to all these unbelievable sites, spending the night under anchor on this like sailing vessel, learning how to sail and understanding what cruising is, where you just travel by, by the wind and by the elements. And then the moment that I always say was like the sort of moment that changed the trajectory of my life is we were sailing into Stromness on the Orkney mainland in very, very thick fog. And I watched this ancient seaport village emerge from the fog as we approached and heard the anchor chain rattle down as the hook set on the seabed floor and held us in place. And it was, it was like time travel. And um, that was it for me. That was it. I was like this, I have to figure out how to make this my life. And when I returned to Los Angeles that I set that in motion, I was like, okay, this has to be what I do. I have to see the world and magical places undersell
0: is it more about the act of like sailing in and of itself or is the destination the goal
1: there's like two sides of the same coin you know what i mean so it's like i think it's beautiful and magical the idea that like i sailed here to hawaii from los angeles 2300 miles just by the wind without the motor running like i traveled like a leaf on a pond the fact that the elements can just if you know how to point the sails and you know how to point your boat and you know how to to navigate you can reach any land on the planet and um so then somewhere i read and who knows if it's true but i read somewhere that 80 percent of the countries can be reached by water and i was like that's like a fascinating option <laughs> to be able to travel slowly and uh, using the elements and um, reach all of these like foreign places and new cultures and see beautiful things.
0: Now, is is the goal still to kind of, what is the word, circumnavigate the globe?
1: That's, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah.
0: Now, how long would it take you if you were just like to do it nonstop? Like how long would it take you to circumnavigate the globe?
1: Uh, I think nowadays it depends on my boat. My boat is a 1965 sailboat. So she's older and not as fast. So it would take about a year.
0: Is that fast or is that slow? I'm not entirely sure which one that is
1: today's standards it's very slow
0: <laughs> like
1: because nowadays boats are like made differently they're much faster um but they're also far less comfortable so there's a trade-off but um yeah in today's today's world some of the boats are absurdly fast and my boat is um very slow and um very safe
0: is that When you look at different boats, though, is there always a trade off between the safety and the speed? Like, ooh, that's going to be fast, but
1: (sighs) for sure, yeah, for sure. So, and it's not necessarily the safety and the speed. Maybe it's the comfort level um, and the speed, but that can play into it because if you're not comfortable, if you're in a boat that's not necessarily that's more designed for coastal cruising, where they're like flat bottomed and they're fast and you can move quickly between places along the coast, and they're very wide and roomy, like an apartment where those are not comfortable in big seas. Um, And what happens is it's like living in a snare drum for day in and day out. And um, it's so loud and intense. And while the boat didn't risk like breaking, breaking up, it was perfectly sound boat, but the experience fatigues you in such a way that it can put you in a dangerous situation. And even more so with solo sailing fatigue is a very dangerous aspect um, because then you can mess up and, a mess up at sea especially if you're alone could mean your death so
0: so like for solo sailing how do you go about doing that right like do you have to just be alert 24 hours a day the entire time that you're going
1: there's a thing called AIS which is a system that all major ships have to have broadcast AIS so there's um this AIS receiver um, you can buy a transponder or a receiver, but the transponders are very expensive. Which would send out your data, but the AS receiver tells you when a ship is near you, it tells you which direction they're going and how fast they're going. So you can set up alarms where, like, okay, if a ship gets within ten miles of me, I need the alarm to go off, and so then you can get up and kind of figure out where the ship is and figure out if they're gonna, if you guys are gonna cross paths. Um, so that lends itself uh, to help a lot. But generally, on my passage the way I do it when I'm when I'm at sea and I'm not coastal cruising is I would start my night shift around 9 p.m. and I would set an alarm for the top of the hour for every hour and um, I would lay down hopefully sleep through the hour and then my alarm goes off I would get up go on deck look for ships slowly scan the horizon check the sails check the course make sure I'm still going the right direction and um, carry on my way And um, there's a thing called uh, a wind vane self-steering system, which is all mechanical, doesn't take any electronics. And it, um, you basically, you set your course and you activate this wind vane and um, it steers the boat for you. So it removes you from having to hand steer the boat. So that allows you to like live, you know, because otherwise you would just have to put the boat, it's called heave to, which basically like stall the boat and sleep for hours if you know, and then go back to sailing. So, with a wind vane steering system, it allows you to just go kind of constantly,
0: but you wouldn't ever want to like just sleep for eight hours straight with the boat going like, all
1: right, well I pointed yeah. it East. It's not a good idea <laughs> because usually the sea conditions change, the wind conditions change. And, um, so your winds are, your sails might, you know, backwind. you start pointing in the wrong direction, you know, it's like you, you're sailing eight hours in the wrong direction is not going to help your final cause. So, um, I think the most, uh, the longest period I slept in, um, 32 days was two hours.
0: What does that do to your body?
1: Um, I lost 20 pounds. (laughs) Um, also the conditions at sea, it's really hard to cook. So you kind of eat pretty, pretty simply. Um, and then, yeah, you get into a rhythm with it because it's not just nighttime. So like, I don't drink any caffeine when I'm at sea like I don't have coffee. I love coffee on land and and when I'm like, you know, just near shore, but I don't drink any caffeine when I'm at sea so that in the middle of the day if I can lay down, then I can sleep, you know. So you just kind of grab rest wherever you are. And um yeah, it's it's almost like you go on by standby mode anytime you can just to kind of conserve energy and and stay alert.
0: My one experience with kind of the open ocean is on a giant cruise ship and I just felt like, "Oh my gosh," I gotta get off this thing. Like I felt trapped, even on a huge one. Like, do you ever mm-hmm. feel like that?
1: Not at all. Especially being alone, you know, a thousand miles from land in any direction. It was like the most peace I'd ever experienced in my life. I think it's just different people wired different ways. You know,
0: that's true. I what's like the word? Like, have you been somebody that always kind of gravitated more towards that kind of solo experience, towards being? alone
1: the way i like to say it about specifically about ocean crossings and i've done both i've done solo and i've done crude ocean crossings is that um i'm pretty comfortable being uncomfortable and uh it's it would be much harder for me to be on on a boat with someone who was miserable so like you know i'm not that miserable it's like yeah there's things that are you know that aren't ideal or maybe they're not you know they're not 100 percent comfortable like you would think of in everyday life but that's like the adventure tax you know so it's like to get to see these things that no one gets to see sometimes you gotta you gotta pay that tax
0: so for somebody who's like never been out on the open ocean what's what's it like compared to like how is the open ocean different from being near shore
1: well for one thing you can be rescued near shore (laughs) um that's like you know in the middle of the ocean, there is no rescue. Or, or if you're lucky, you might get rescued by a cargo ship, but then you, your vessel or your home or your boat has to be sunk so that it's not a danger to other boats navigating in the same waters. Um, so that thought, you know, it's not like a helicopter can just come pick you up when you're a thousand miles from shore. So that is wildly different. Um, but on the flip side of that is there's nothing more dangerous to a boat than the shore. So when like when I'm navigating close to shore, if I'm doing overnight passages like nonstop overnight passages, I'll sleep in the cockpit outside um, with my alarm set for every 15 minutes because that's about 20 minutes is about the time a ship will reach you from the horizon if it's traveling at full speed. So about every 15 minutes you pop up, look around for ships and then lay back down. Um, and even with AIS, because a lot of small fishing boats don't have that. And if somebody's on that boat, not on watch, they're on autopilot. They could easily run you down. So and sub boats do not move very fast, you know, because it is right around the pace of like walking swiftly or walking slowly, depending on the wind. But I mean, that's
0: it. That's as fast as you're going. You're only going like three or four miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Even if the wind's like whipping. You're still just poking around The whole,
1: the whole speed on my boat, I think is like seven knots, which is like, you know, it's not one for one for like miles per hour, but, um, it's not very fast. Yeah. And it's like, that's, yeah. And i mentioned that I said, you know, like my passage here from Los Angeles would have been the equivalent to me driving from Los Angeles to Pittsburgh at three miles an hour, basically.
0: I thought you were going a lot faster than that. I assumed that, like, all right, you get out in the open ocean, they're probably doing, like, 30 or 40. You're doing, like, five.
1: That's, like, those giant cargo ships, they max out at 30 knots.
0: Why didn't I think that everything was so much faster?
1: Yeah, but, like, fancy race boats, like, for the America's Cup, they have these these sailboats that look like spaceships almost. Those things will go like 40 knots or, you know, those those things are totally bananas, but they don't go long distances really at that speed, you know?
0: I have never but understood why it's knots and not just miles per hour.
1: Back in the age of sail, the way they would determine the speed of the ship is they had a log that was tied to a rope, and the rope had, at specific lengths, had knots tied in it. And they would turn hourglass over, throw the log in, And then count how many knots went through their hand until the hourglass ran out. And then they would write down how many knots in the logbook.
0: That makes perfect sense. You know, for like the water conditions out on the open ocean, is it smoother? Is it wavier? Is that the right word? Like, what's it like?
1: Well, it all depends on, almost everything depends on the wind. So the swells generally, if there's no wind, they're very long rollers so the the swells are long and you know it's like long swells are not dangerous i've sailed in you know 20 foot seas in the north atlantic but they were long periods and they so they're not breaking waves so they're not scary they're intense to see 20 feet hill of water behind you and then suddenly you're on top of it and then the captain who taught me to sail in scotland Celia bull she told me about she sailed to Antarctica, done Cape Horn, all the stuff. She sailed to South Georgia on a boat as crew, and she saw sixty foot waves in the North, uh, Southern Ocean, where there were sixty foot mountain, mountain sixty foot tall mountains of water, <laughs> and then they were on top of sixty foot mountain of water, looking down into the trough sixty feet. So, if they're long period and they're not breaking, then they're not dangerous. But here in the Pacific, the it's um it's a very calm ocean primarily, other than like if you're in a hurricane track. Or if you're in the North Pacific, and if basically it's like it, any ocean in the correct season, is fine. If you're out of the, if you're sailing in waters in the wrong season, it's not fine. But the Pacific is very mild compared to the Atlantic, and that's because the Atlantic is, specifically, specifically like the Caribbean stuff is so the water so shallow that it supercharges these storms. And that's when all the hurricanes happen there, but there we don't have like hurricanes in Los Angeles.
0: So when you look kind of forward and and then like the, and the goal of what's the word circumnavigating, like, is there a spot where you're like, Ooh, I'm not ready for this place yet. Or this is going to be, this is going to be the test.
1: Yeah. Cape Horn, the, the, my eventual goal, I planned around Cape Horn, which is the most dangerous place in the world. And it's, killed thousands and thousands of sailors over the years um eventually all around cape horn and it just depends and that's the place where you just have to have all your ducks in a row and and a number of small boats have done it and again it's like waiting out weather windows you know and not you know that's a lot of it is like waiting for weather um but with today's technology it's easier to know what weather is going to be so it's easier to sort of like know what you're getting yourself into. Um, but yeah, that Cape Horn will be the spot that's like, and uh, the Indian ocean too, but crossing the Indian ocean from Southeast Asia to Africa will be, um, a challenge. But again, it's a matter of like going in the right season.
0: Why is that such a, what, what makes that place such a a rough, rough area?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Probably I'm not specifically educated on that fact or, or that reason, but I would guess it it's in relation to to like Africa and the land masses around there that just creates, you know, like these storms that are pretty gnarly. The Indian Ocean's pretty gnarly. Um, so yeah, I would just imagine it's weather systems that are in relation to the Southern ocean on one side and Africa, the African continent on the other side.
0: So when you go for, you know, when you go for a leg of the journey, like how much preparation goes into it? Like how long will you spend like stocking up or preparing or reading maps or whatever?
1: I'm always researching even further ahead. So kind of always, um, you do quite a bit, um, cause you kind of got it, especially places that are kind of far flung. Like I'll be going to a lot of uninhabited atolls in the South Pacific. So I'm researching a, a lot of that. And there's a lot of techniques that goes into visiting those places that you wouldn't necessarily apply anywhere else. So really digging deep and and learning from all the people that have gone there before. And with the internet, I'm able to find tons of blogs or, you know, cruising guides or whatever that, that tells you things to, that you need to think about, you know, what's there, what isn't there. And, um, you know, even like anchoring and, you know, around coral is a different you anchor around coral in a different way than you would anchor on just like a sandy beach. Um, and even down to, you have to really be cautious about collecting rainwater. So you have, make sure you have enough water because there's no fresh water on a lot of these atolls and stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the the preparation never stops, but as far as provisioning goes, that's kind of one big bulk thing. You just kind of a provision for kind of double what you think it might be and, um, go from there.
0: Like how much generally provisions will you carry? Like I carried this many days supply of it.
1: So my trip from Los Angeles to Hawaii, I thought should have been around 20 to 25 days and ended up being 32, but I'd provisioned for 40 days um, and had way, like way more water than I needed. So I was, I was well stocked.
0: How, how guess, how good at sailing do you need to be able to be to go on like a, open ocean journey, right? So let's say 10 is Blackbeard level. I'm the greatest sailor ever. And one is like, I know how to swim. Like where on a scale of one to 10, would you say, all right, you need to be about here before you even try something like this?
1: Well, need, it's like, should. Oh, it's like, people are, people often ask me, they're like, what kind of boat do I need to do this? I'm like, well, you, you can go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Like, is it a good idea? Not necessarily. You know, like the Kantiki was a raft that they drifted from South America to um, uh, French Polynesia. So, like, I just sailed to Kauai um, with a gentleman named Jeff, and he told me um, he had sailed a lot on little lakes on small boats in uh, New York, and then had a dream of sailing, bought like a 37-foot boat, had never even slept on a boat especially he he on a boat that size. He had never spent the night on a boat before he got on it and tried to sail to Hawaii and he successfully did it. But he said he was like scared to death. Um, and, you know, he had some problems, but you know, he worked it out and, and got it done. So one person, someone told me once that when you start sailing, you get a full bag of luck and you get an empty bag of experience and you're, you're, like your job is to fill up the experience bag before your luck bag runs out. You know, it, people might be able to pull it off in they at the right time of year in specific oceans, especially trade wind sailing is, is fairly simple. Like sailing to Hawaii, you're downwind and down seas. So someone with less experience, that's an easier thing, but you also have a lot of distance to get things wrong and um, have no way out. Like downwind trade wind sailing is the easiest. And then, you know, upwind sailing is, um, for sure the hardest. I don't even- Because basically like you have to think about the ocean currents and the winds. They all move in specific ways around the world. Like Northern hemisphere runs one way, Southern hemisphere runs another way. So you basically plan that with it to, um, to have the most success.
0: I don't even know how you sail against the wind. I have no idea.
1: Yeah. It's well, like modern sailboats, that have the sails flat, like, um, like sloops or, you know, Bermudan sloop. Um, once they figured that out, it acts like a, the wing of an airplane. So it uses lift so that basically like the wind on one side of the sail creates a high pressure system and the wind on the other side of the sail creates a low pressure system and they want to meet. So it's almost like squeezing a watermelon seed through your fingers. It like pushes it forward.
0: Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Sure. What is your most memorable experience sailing?
1: Probably, well, for me, it's probably when I lost my rudder and all steerage a thousand miles from Hawaii. I think that one's going to stick with me for a while and being adrift in the ocean for three days. Um, that's fairly memorable to me.
0: So what, like, obviously you survived this, but how,
1: yeah.
0: that seems like a problem.
1: Very, very big problem. Yeah.
0: How did you lose it? Um,
1: um, I struck in a submerged object of what I do not know. Um, when I got, when I finally got in and dove on the boat, there was a big red mark on the rudder and a chip out of the back. So it may have been a, ha- a, a, a submerged sea container. Um, that's like a known problem. A lot of race boats have hit them and different cruising boats have hit them. Like I know I looked up the stats after it happened and in 2020 alone, 3000 sea containers were lost overboard. And if you think if they're carrying a, a shipment of foam, they'll float just below the surface. You know, if they're carrying a buoyant object, then um they can just float right below the surface. And there was a famous movie, uh, All Is Lost. Uh, it was Robert Redford, I think, um, based on that exact thing of him hitting a, a a sea container. Um, so that's my best guess, but I didn't hear it happen. I didn't see it happen, so I'm not sure.
0: How did um, then? How did you get out of the situation? Did somebody just find you, or you just
1: no i um i sailed by drogues so there's a thing that's um you can get these things called drogues or sea anchors and basically they're they're per they're purpose made for you try you trail it behind your boat on a long line uh on boats ropes are called lines So it's on a long line behind your boat, and it's made to slow your ascent down giant waves. So if you're in a really bad seas and you're going too fast down waves and you you could flip this way, like pitch pole, this slows your your speed down. You're dragging this drogue. And mine looked like a traffic cone that had holes in it, and it creates drag to slow you. So I deployed that and rigged up a pole across the back so that I could move it from one side of the boat to the other to steer the boat. And the easiest way to understand how it works is when you're in a canoe and you're paddling, if you hold your paddle down and hold it flat, it'll turn you this way or turn you that way. So that's exactly how this drug worked is like, I would move the resistance from one side of the boat, which would drag the boat this way. And then the other side of the boat, would drag it this way.
0: Now was that, was that a technique that you knew ahead of time or did you like, well, I got to figure this out somehow.
1: I did not know it ahead of time. Um, at all. I had the drogue on board. I had all the gear on board for other reasons. And then, um, I was communicating with my shore team via satellite phone and, um, trying to figure out what my options were. And, um, two of the members of my shore team were captains and, um, they were both sending me information about ways to try to set my drogue up to steer the boat. And, um, yeah, that's what ended, I ended up doing for 1000 miles for 18 days was no steering. I sailed with zero steering. Um, yeah,
0: this might, that experience might've been it. this might be something else, but your scariest experience while out there.
1: Um, (laughs) scary. Maybe I want to say this, the scariest where I actually felt terror was one night on that same passage when I was still, my rudder was still fine. Um, I came out, in the middle of the night and um it was in very thick fog and there was a shadow from my navigation lights um projecting like the shadow on the the wall of the fog directly behind me and it looked like there was a boat within 20 feet of me and i i it was very alarming i really really i shit myself and i was like oh my gosh and um And then I sat there for a minute and then realized it was like my own shadow. So I was scared of my own shadow. That was literally as like, if I'm going to say the most terrifying, maybe not the most concerning, but the most like actual terror that, yeah, for sure. Oh,
0: like that split second of like, I'm dead. I'm dead.
1: I was, yeah, just terror. Yeah.
0: Coolest animal you've seen.
1: I encountered like four finback whales off the coast of California. And that was pretty amazing because they're such big creatures. And I've had a lot of encounters with whales over the years and, you know, stampedes of thousands of dolphins. As far as the horizon could see, I've seen thousands of dolphins. um, But seeing these finbacks, I'd never seen finbacks before. And they were just, it was like very calm seas and they were just, just breaching very slowly or not breaching, but, you know, surfacing very slowly. And it was just, It was quite a scene.
0: What is your favorite sailing related movie?
1: Now, now does that mean movie or documentary?
0: I feel like it's gotta be movie documentary. I feel like it's cheating
1: a little bit. Yeah. yeah, Too easy. Too easy.
0: Or the one that sailors would be like, yeah, they got it right.
1: Oh, there's no sailing movies that sailors would say they got it right. Other than maybe captain Ron. That's probably the closest to getting it right.
0: This kind of leads us into our next question. Honestly, are you prepared for pirates?
1: Um, there are only pirates in very, very, very few places in the world. Um, near the entrance of the Suez Canal near Somalia, um, is obviously of great concern, but they're actually more interested in, well, they used to be more interested in capturing cargo ships where they could get millions of dollars with a ransom. Um, the other place where there's like piracy is a concern is in the Malay Sea near Malaysia. But that's mostly you just don't sail at night. Uh, so like if you buddy boat or you just don't travel at night, you know, mostly it's like local bandits. You know, it's like people who are, you know, trying to find food for their families and stuff. So it's like people are very scared of imaginary boogeymen and um, piracy is not a great issue at sea.
0: Not, not something that you're staying up at night for necessarily. Whatever. Favorite piece of sailing lingo.
1: Piece of sailing lingo.
0: I gravitate towards the poop deck. I feel like most people there's are- that.
1: One. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Batten down the hatches is always, you know, an easy go to.
0: Have you ever said something like that in real life though? When you've been like batten um, down the hatches well, you know, okay, well,
1: here's, here's the one here's here it is i got it my favorite sailing lingo is most certainly land ho," and i have for sure always said it when i first sighted land for sure
0: <laughs> um favorite sea shanty do you do you have any good sea shanty recommendations
1: Hall away, old joe is my favorite sea shanty
0: i don't know what's how does that one do you remember how that one goes
1: hold all the way, all the way, Joe. Oh, that's pretty yeah. good.
0: They seem to be making a big a big comeback all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, yeah, the social media really blew them up recently, and a lot of great renditions of them, like, beautifully sung.
0: Can you make a full-time living off of this? Absolutely. Did, but do you make a good amount of money, or do you just have to, like, live cheaply?
1: You definitely have to live within a budget. Um, like, my now my full-time job is YouTube. So, yeah, it's possible, but it's not necessarily stable. So, like, as a fallback, I'm a licensed, I'm licensed, I have a, hold a master's license with the U.S. Coast Guard, um, and that's primarily so I can do yacht deliveries um, of, like, you know, larger lo- yacht deliveries and make a large amount of money and then use that to kind of cruise on until my funds get low, and then I can do other, do more deliveries or drive dive boats in different destinations. So I've set myself up different sort of employment options for around the world. I also I know how to fix everything on a boat. My boat is totally refit by myself, and I know how to do all that stuff. So I set myself up to be able to work as I travel. Um, But again, yeah, you have to live pretty pretty simply and um, be happy with that. Otherwise, it's much harder. Um, But Currently, yeah, making YouTube videos and sharing them weekly pays for all of my expenses. And it'll get easier as I leave here because Hawaii is very expensive.
0: Good for you, man.
1: And writing, like I've published a few books and then moving into like writing articles for magazines and stuff for sailing. And so, yeah, it's like that's the the writing is the long game. And then YouTube, um, there's a lot of people that have made an amazing living off of YouTube. And um, I'm just like, you know, I don't count my chickens before they hatch, but I'm happy each month when I'm like, okay, cool. Well, this is working out.
0: So now I'm really curious though. Like how much, if you take, if you take a boat from, or a yacht from like LA to Honolulu, like how much, how much does that cost? Like how much do you get paid for that?
1: Well, um, well, oh, you mean for a yacht delivery? Yeah. Like how much? Oh yeah. I mean, you can make 20 grand on a big delivery.
0: Well, I guess it takes you that long, right?
1: it depends on yeah it depends on the distance it depends like i make like as a delivery captain i make about 500 a day as a delivery captain plus all my provisions plus airfare to and from um but the, the thing is is like it's not like you can count on a delivery a month you know
0: yeah that's so true. it's
1: like, that's the other thing if you get if you get locked in with a like a broker Um, specifically on the East coast, it'd be a good spot. If you, if you started working with a broker and you're running boats up and down the East coast, you could make a regular living as a delivery captain.
0: That's pretty much all the questions I got for you, man. Is there anything else that's like, you think that we missed or what's kind of coming up next for you?
1: Um, Yeah, I'm just getting, getting the boat dialed in wintering here in Hawaii and exploring the Hawaiian islands and um, getting ready for French Polynesia.
0: I want to thank sailor James so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, We have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we've also included his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's bring in John Shawl and get to the pointless part of the show. If you were going to go on a daring adventure, what would you want to do?
2: Going to a deserted island for a week and seeing if I can survive on my own and just seeing what it's like, you know, just... uh, just to do it, I don't know that sounds more like an idiotic challenge, but I would uh th- that's something I would love to do.
0: What about why would you want to be dropped off on a deserted island though?
2: Just the thought of being alone and isolated uh, on an island away from everybody for a week seems like it would be very refreshing and and uh, meditating.
0: Would you have any supplies already on the island? for you because I honestly don't think that if you were dropped off on a deserted island, I don't think that you would live a week. I think think, I'd be dead too.
2: hmm. But I mean, I I feel like a week I feel like I I can make it a week People aren't going to agree with what I'm about to say and they're probably right but I think my biggest problem would be sleeping because I do not like sleeping on ground (laughs) so I would like have to find you know, big leaves or bamboo or something so uh,
0: First of all if you actually would go through with this, and the main thing that you're concerned about <laughs> is being where you're going to sleep, you're not going to survive—not a week. You're not going to survive a day.
2: I know. I know. It's I hard. think
0: you're dead within 24 hours. Quite frankly,
2: I just don't want to. Like you know, I'm not. I'm not necessarily that worried about. I don't want to be
0: uncomfortable while. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: that's why I said like controlled. I mean, you know. But see, I kind of understand
0: that because my biggest concern would be like, well, I want to take a shower at the end of the night. Like, I want to be, I want to be able to wash myself off and be clean. So I don't think I would last very long either. All right, let's move on.
2: All right, uh, is it shout out time? Yeah, yeah. Shout out time. Time. time oh God! Time.
0: Oh God! We are now on week uh, nine. Of John doing that. We bought him a microphone nine weeks ago. He continues to be impressed by the technology of a microphone and thinks it's amazing to talk right
2: into it. I was my own echo there just for those who are wondering. All right. Here we go. Uh, Josh Mallory, appreciate you. Uh, Jesse Bell, Chris Bronson, Daryl Hicks, Evan Lawler, uh, Kelly Yates, Thomas Zatish, Michael Marker, Kim Sattler, and Ryan Sullivan. Uh, appreciate each and every one of you. Check us out on the socials. You know where to find us if you haven't already. Uh, all right, Nick. Uh, let's see here. Got a couple of uh, bangers for you. Um, oh, God. Uh, which is the more preferable working shift for you? Uh, night shift or the early morning shift? Which one would you choose to do if you had to pick one?
0: Uh, the morning shift is one that I have done before and I would say is more accustomed to my nature. I'm much more of a morning person, but it also have probably taken years off my life. <laughs> I'm pretty sure work getting up and being at work by 3 in the morning for a number of years has taken years off of my body. I know for a fact there was a point where I honestly was stupider. Like I could feel <laughs> my intelligence slipping away. Like I would do things, go up to a red light and be like, what am I supposed to do here? I could feel myself getting dumber on a morning shift. And then when I switched off of it, I felt back to normal.
2: I got to tell you, I had one of those moments just a week ago and it was driving naturally. And uh, I don't know what happened, but I zoned out. I was not me at all. Uh, And I, I basically just made like I was in the left lane and I just darted over into the right lane. Like I thought I was in the right lane. And I dart over to the right lane and uh, completely cut off the car behind me. They, like, had to go onto the curb. Half their car went onto the grass. They It was a woman. She was really pissed at me. She got up next to me and was, like, flipping me off. And, like, yeah, she was really angry. And I don't blame her for being angry. And I, I just I just kind of, like, lost it. Like, I, I was in another planet. I had no idea what was going on.
0: What are you... You're a danger on the fucking road.
2: It's not me. This time it was me. It's
0: unbelievable. Usually
2: it's not me, though, but this time it was me.
0: Listen, if you have multiple things like that, it's always you. You're always going to be the problem if that consistently happens. Have you noticed yourself, though, getting dumber? Like, okay, because John and I are both of an age in which we have noticed our physical decline.
2: Oh, God, yeah. Like,
0: if I tried to jump right now, I'd be like, whoa, that's... I barely got off the ground, if at all. <laughs> but have you noticed yet a mental decline?
2: No, I, I actually think that I'm I'm wiser. and I, I think this will be the, probably the next 10 years will be the smartest I'll ever be.
0: I would say that you probably are smartest between the ages of 35 to 55. That's probably when you're the smartest that you're ever going to be.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you're the dumbest, uh, probably 18 to 24, I'd say.
0: No, I think you're probably dumbest between fourteen to
2: eighteen. Mm, I said, I'm just, I'm just gonna maybe th-
0: sixteen to twenty.
2: I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say fourteen to twenty-four as is, as is is the range that I'll end up on.
0: For me, what would qualify as being the dumbest is right when you start to kind of think that you know something, but aren't old enough yet to realize that you don't know shit. Right. Kind of like when you get in the car for imagining. You get in the car and you're like, I know how to drive. But you don't yet know that you don't really know what you're doing yet. I'm going to say you're probably dumbest at 15.
2: I'm going to say probably 21.
0: Do people still really go hard on their 21st birthday? I didn't. But I've been drinking since I was 14. So I was like, all right. And had a fake ID since I was 16. So it wasn't a big deal. Did you go hard on your 21st birthday?
2: Yeah, but I but it, it was just because it was my birthday. I mean, I've been drinking since 17. I, I honestly don't know if, if kids nowadays at 21 party hard. I assume they do, but they're – I don't know. Uh, would you rather uh, have people be afraid of you or think you're too much of a nice guy?
0: Oh, I'd probably rather have people be afraid of me because if they think you're too much of a nice guy, they're taking advantage of you
2: yeah that's a tough one i i don't i i'm i'm gonna stay neutral I'm not entirely sure how to how to feel about that question I've been called too much of a nice guy before, but I feel like i'm not like i just feel like that's people who don't really know me they say that
0: I think that you're probably too much of a nice guy i mean you do have fits of rage <laughs> as have that have escalated lately but like pure frustration <laughs> rage not like you're not angry you're just frustrated rage. Like, that's what happens in midlife. You just have frustration, anger. Okay.
2: Uh, Let's see here. What else? Uh, I had a third one, but it's not really like a tough question. I just, uh, it's regarding movie trailers. Like, does anyone give a shit about movie trailers anymore? Are they a waste of two minutes and 15 seconds?
0: I don't really appreciate movie trailers because if it's a movie that I want to see, I don't want to see anything about it. I don't want to see the trailer. I don't want to hear the story. I don't want to know who's cast. I don't want to know anything about it. Maybe a little bit, right? But I don't want to know anything about it if it's a movie I want to see.
2: I just find, for me, it almost ruins the experience, which cuz lately it seems like the last few things i've watched or been excited about the trailer comes out and it reveals 3 quarters of of, of the plot like it just it re- either reveals too much or doesn't reveal a damn thing
0: i would honestly say that so many movies that i've been interested in watching like on streaming i'll watch the trailer and then wonder well i don't need to see this now cuz i just saw it in the trailer
2: yeah. I mean I do
0: feel like it didn't used to be that way. It used to be a tease and now it's like, oh, I just saw that movie. <laughs> Maybe it's because all the movies are kind of the same. Like I yeah, I've seen I've seen a murder mystery. I know how they go.
2: I mean it's hard, right? I mean there's been so many made I I, I kinda feel for movie makers and T V show makers. It's hard to have original ideas that stick. I, it has to be.
0: Do you think that there are more doors in the world or wheels?
2: Uh I'm gonna go uh, wheels Three times more than doors. Oh, now that's a ridiculous statement.
0: Think about this. I think that when you get down to it, it might be. It might be doors. That would be my guess. Is that there's probably more doors.
2: Mm. I mean, you'd have. Uh, I mean, take a car. No,
0: I changed my mind. There's more wheels. Yeah, just take a car, for example. I think there's more wheels.
2: There's four wheels to two doors. Houses, there might be five doors on the house, but there's going to be a lot of appliances and things with wheels.
0: That's true, right? I think that's where wheels gets it. Because yeah. people probably think that, oh, there might be as many car wheels as there might be doors. But then you think about what all has wheels, all the bicycles, all the kids' toys, all the appliances, the luggage, all the other stuff that has wheels on it. So it has to actually be wheels when you really think about
2: it. Yeah, I, I think Because there's
0: just too many – there's too many things that also contain them.
2: I think it's wheels time I think it's three times wheels. Like I think wheels – There's I think there's a lot more wheels than what you're giving – Wheels credit for?
0: I think you've probably convinced me.
2: (laughs) Can we talk about Tom Brady real fast?
0: Oh, fine, go. Everybody saw this coming. Everybody, everybody knew that this was going to happen. That Tom Brady was he was coming right back. I just thought it would be with a different team.
2: But I, I have my theories on this. Do you think it's because he didn't get like the the year long? You know, every city he goes to, like you know, bow down and praise who Tom Brady is retirement tour. I do think
0: that those guys really struggle. And not only do I think this, but after interviewing some of them in a former career, like I think that they really struggle once they leave because the best parts of your life are – it's basically like – I mean it really is retiring early. Like the best glory moments of your life are all behind you. Oh, it's... And all, it's all downhill, whereas most people's lives I don't think are like that. I think that sports people really struggle with the idea that once they retire, like, they will never be as famous and as looked up to and as whatever as they were, and it's all downhill for them. And I don't—I think a lot of them really struggle with that.
2: Uh, I know you don't watch professional wrestling, but it comes back to this. And you want to talk about, like... Careers where the athletes cannot let it go. I mean, that's perfect. I mean, Stone Cold Steve Austin is coming back to wrestle at WrestleMania in a couple of weeks, and you're talking about a guy who tw- 19 years ago said he would never come back in a ring because he has two fake knees, a broken neck, and now he's coming back in the ring for who knows why. Like, it just—I I agree with you 100%. But yeah, man, that's uh, you know, um, I got, had to get some TB12 right. love in here, man. Had to.
0: They have. The fact that you abbreviate it too is just—it's offensive to me and, and physically painful. Physically Sorry. painful listening to it. Okay. okay, are you are you ready for our top five?
2: I am, and it's uh, it's going to be a good one.
0: All right, so our top five is top five fictional vehicles. What's your number five?
2: I'm going to start with the Mystery Machine from Scooby Doo.
0: I think that's honorable mention ten years ago at best.
2: I think I think the the show's iconic. I think it's still around, and people. Uh, Maybe not the super young generation, but I think people know who Scooby Doo is and they know who the, what the who and what the mystery machine is.
0: Uh my number five is Mario Kart's Kart.
2: Oh man okay, yeah. I have I have that on my list uh a little a little bit up, so I, I guess you can you can talk about it if you want or we can wait for a little bit, but uh, yeah, man, that you have to have it on the list.
0: Alright, which number four?
2: So my number four is the Batmobile.
0: You better have some fucking stacked fictional vehicles ahead of that for the Batmobile
2: to be number four i mean i i I think I do like i said i I think you're gonna have an issue with my number one, I really do, but I hope i I don't think you will, but we'll see so yeah so my my number four regardless is the Batmobile, and then I guess just getting to it my number three is Mario Kart's cart that's a I could go that high for
0: Mario Kart's cart mm-hmm. Yeah, I could go as high as number three. I wouldn't go any higher than that, but I could go up to number three if you wanted to. Um, My number four is something that some people will immediately be like, ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. They'll think it will be higher or they'll have no idea what I'm talking about. But Cat Bus from My Neighbor Totoro. If you know what it is, you'd be like, damn, yeah.
2: I'm going to have to Google it because I'm not entirely sure that I'm... I think I know what it is.
0: You have... You've probably seen like oh, yeah. allusions to it in other media, right? Like you know what it is, but you don't know why. You maybe have never seen that movie. It's a fantastic movie.
2: Yeah, I, I, I know what it is. Um, man, that because that's a tough to on one for me. Bus, I I'm, I can't believe. Oh, uh, yeah that that might have ruined your top five. That's that's kind of a week number four, man.
0: You it's not a week number four if you are if you've seen that movie. you'd Be like. That might be too low for number four. There's there's, there's only two ways you feel about this. It shouldn't be on the list, or it should be higher on the list. My number three is Santa's sleigh.
2: It's still real. It's, it's, it's a fictional vehicle. Still, Santa's real. I don't know, understand what you... <laughs> that, <laughs> That should first off if that's on the list that should be number 1. Uh and we should have put like It should have
0: probably been number 1
2: honestly. We, sh- we should have put a rule in here that you had to leave Santa's sleigh out of it. But uh that, that's fine. That's that's a good number 3. That I mean it should be you one. You didn't think two. of it though, did you? No, I didn't.
0: Okay. All uh, right, what's your number 2?
2: My number 2 is uh, I I got I got a double here, uh the DeLorean and the Ghost or uh, yeah, the Ghostbusters uh car, the Ecto-1.
0: I could I can understand the DeLorean. Now, that one I understand. That's iconic. The Ghostbusters car, who gives a shit? That wasn't even a central point of that movie that much. Like, the DeLorean was central to Back to the Future. The Ghostbusters car was just like, oh, they got a car.
2: I, I agree with you that it wasn't a large part of the movies, uh, but it's become iconic. Everyone knows what the Ghostbuster car is. I, everybody. It's...
0: No. <sighs> But it's like everybody knows what it is, but it's not as big of a deal. the The Ghostbusters car is like Carl's Jr. You like maybe somebody's been there and maybe maybe they like it. You've heard of it and maybe you know somebody who likes it. But the Delorean is McDonald's. You're like, oh yeah,
1: this oh, yeah, guy drop the Carl's Jr. The Ghostbusters
0: car. It's like, mm. <laughs> it's Carl's. It's the Carl's Jr. Oh my gosh. of fictional vehicles.
2: All right, what's your number two? My number two two
0: is the Millennium Falcon.
2: Millennium Falcon. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I forgot about the Millennium Falcon. That's that's a really good one, man.
0: The only question in my mind is what's more famous, the Millennium Falcon or the Star Destroyer? Like, which one of those do you think in your mind is more iconic, a Millennium Falcon or the Star Destroyer?
2: I mean, I would say the, the Falcon, but that's me.
0: I think you know an individual vehicle more when it comes to the Millennium Falcon, but the Star Destroyer is the cooler vehicle. Like, if I had a choice, like, do you want the Millennium Falcon or do you want the Star Destroyer? I'm going to take the Star Destroyer.
2: I mean, out of those two, sure. If I'm going from the, from the Star Wars universe, so give me a pod. Let me get in a pod race. That sounds like a lot better. God. <laughs> but not to, not to make you have an aneurysm here. Uh I will just say
0: all the Star Wars people are fucking rolling over in their graves right now. I
2: I'm sure they are. That's You fine. basically said
0: that you know what you ba- you know what you essentially said. You just said that Vinny Testaverdi is a better quarterback than Tom Brady. <laughs> That's basically the equivalent of what you just said.
2: <laughs> I I got nothing. I'm I'm going to stand by it and I said I'll stand by it. But I I I would pick uh you know uh, The Millennium Falcon, m- more times than not, as being the better vehicle.
0: Okay. My number one is pretty obvious. Since you have supposedly a different one, I think you should go last. But my number one is the Batmobile. Okay. Everybody everybody would drive the Batmobile. Like, fuck yeah, I drive this. Because it's cool. You can be Batman. You're probably going to get something on the side if you're showing up in the Batmobile. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I I mean that's why I put it on my – that's why it's on my top ten or top five, not top ten. Uh almost – but do you have to put – like do you have to add the the bat um, cycle or whatever it's called too? Do you have to just – is that just included?
0: I've never been really sure if the bat cycle is part of the Batmobile or not. It's but published. all of other – all of Batman's other shit comes secondary to the Batmobile. It yeah. might be his, like, I think if you're going to go with Batman's gadgets, his most iconic gadgets, it's basically the Batarang mm-hmm. and then the Batmobile. And he's got a lot of other shit, but it's really just those two things. <laughs> and then it's like, eh, have, have, some some, like, grappling hook.
2: Have you seen the new one yet with the like uh, Twilight guy?
0: No. First of all, put some respect on his name. He's an accomplished actor. Don't call him Twilight guy. I don't know. I, I don't know what what's his actual I don't name, know what his name is. Is it Robert? Is it Robert or Robert Pattinson? Robert Pattinson. Yeah, Robert Patterson.
2: Pattinson. That's it. Yeah, Robert. Pattinson. Whatever his name is. Twilight guy. Okay.
0: Name. What's your number one?
2: Uh, Optimus Prime.
0: Optimus Prime is not a vehicle. He's a person.
2: He's a truck, right? You can get in the truck, and
0: right. You can't. Can you ride in the truck?
2: I'm sure you but can. But you're,
0: you're still—he's still Optimus Prime. I don't think that he should be on here.
2: I, okay, then, then Bumblebee.
0: None of them. I don't think any Transformers should be considered to be fictional vehicles. They are robots who are transforming. They're not fictional vehicles because uh, you're not driving them.
2: But well, first off, you—I mean, Bumblebee was driven. He was being driven in several of the movies. Was he
0: being driven though, or was people were people? It, Was he letting them drive Pretend like they were driving him Like if you were Okay seriously If you were a transformer And you could transform Would you let somebody drive you
2: When I was doing some minor research I'll have him I'll have Optimus Prime as being a fictional vehicle So I am Whether you can drive him or not I can get in and he can take me places It's still a vehicle And he's a badass I
0: just don't think that he's a vehicle He's a person
2: i I feel right like Like like...
0: he is his own thing right like somebody could ride on me that doesn't mean that i'm a vehicle like Mm -hmm. do i become a vehicle when i put my three-year-old on my shoulders
2: i mean let's be honest yes
0: a little bit (laughs) but i just don't think of the transformers as vehicles
2: i and, and maybe others don't i not a
0: fictional vehicle
2: I'm, They're I'm, robots. I'm, 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 I'm going to stick with it. If if you're going to if you're going to absolutely say that I cannot keep it as my number one, I'll put Santa's sled in there, but or sleigh. But I'm I I, I want to keep Optimus Prime as my number one.
0: Okay. There's a lot now that I thought about it. Yeah. I didn't think there was so many. We probably should have just went like with cars or spaceships or something <laughs> like that. What do you have in your? What do you have in your um, uh, honorable mention?
2: Uh, Let's see, so I have the Flintstones Mobile uh, kit from Knight Rider. But, I mean, if if you're going to say that Optimus Prime can't be on the list, I don't know if Kit should be on there either. Uh,
0: See, but could Kit drive himself? Or did he need somebody driving him?
2: I mean, there there were times, I believe, when there was nobody in the vehicle and Kit would be there, uh, you know. Uh, let's mm. see. What else? Okay. Uh, Magic School okay. Bus. The Magic School Bus.
0: Oh, yeah. I could definitely do the Magic School Bus.
2: Uh yeah, I, I remember that. I have the Aston Martin from from any James Bond. Uh, though you, you can buy the car or a version of it. Those are still f- fictional vehicles in the movie. So uh, James Bond's Aston Martin. Uh, and, <laughs> and for some reason, I don't know what it's called, but I put down... Any any spaceship from E. T. or Stranger Things.
0: Does Stranger Things have spaceships?
2: I uh, isn't there isn't there spaceships in there? I don't know. I, I I think there is, but I could be wrong. I'm not entirely sure. I I've seen it. I thought there was a spaceship. Uh, I don't know.
0: Okay, I don't think that there's a spaceship in Stranger Things, dude.
2: I was pretty inebriated what when I watched you the series.
0: Okay, well, that's, that's probably the best way to do it. Um, my honorable mention, I would say anything from the new Mad Maxes. Like, anything from that. Like, that'd be pretty fun to drive. Like, maybe the War Rig or whatever the yeah other cars that people are driving. If you're going to go old school, you got to go with Pee Wee's Bicycle from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Um, Better watch out, though. There might be some Maybe you could go with, like.
2: Uh, extra something on that I seat. mean, he
0: got a bad rap. But whoever that guy is, he got a bad rap. Because he, all he was doing was, white. what was he doing? He was in like an adult movie theater handling his business, right? Which, who ratted on him? Like, who went goes to an adult movie theater and is mad because somebody's jerking off in there? Like, what did you think they were going to be doing? I mean, I... That guy got a bad rap.
2: But, first of all, I, I know it's fine to do that, and, and that's why those... Places are there well like, i think
0: it is illegal well, yeah. to jerk off in public it is but i don't know who's complaining right <laughs> yeah I,
2: I think that's like, what did
0: you think they were going to be doing in there
2: but I, I think if you're somebody at that time of his stature you got to be smarter man like you got a house you got rooms go into the bathroom like why are you publicly jerking it and every i mean people around you know who you are i mean you're a discernible figure it just, you know, he was probably high or drunk and just didn't give a fuck. And look what happened.
0: God, that'd be embarrassing to get arrested for that. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine how embarrassed you would be? Like, what'd you get arrested for? Jerking off in a theater? I mean, <laughs> Like, imagine you're like, in jail. It's like, I killed a guy. I robbed <laughs> a bank. I jerked, off. I jerked off in a movie theater. Imagine, Like, less, you're all in the same jail.
2: Imagine those cops, like... Well, fuck. We have to go arrest this guy jerking off in a movie theater?
0: God. They probably – I bet I would be more worried about those people because you don't know what somebody like that is going to react like. Like, ooh, shit. They could go crazy. What? Else, do you have anything else in your honorable mention? Oh, wait. It's my honorable mention. Yeah, it's your, your – uh, I mean maybe you could do like um, any of the famous trains, but I don't think they ride up to it, right? Like Snowpiercer or the Polar Express or the Hogwarts Express. Ooh. Any of those kind of things are up there.
2: Hogwarts one's not bad. I, I've never seen uh, whatever the first one was. You said the 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 what was Polar Express? No, no. The what was before that? Snowpiercer. S- Snowpiercer? I don't know what that is, but
0: yeah, uh, it's just a, I don't know. It's not. It's all right. It's all right. good enough. The problem is, is like you could never put a you could never put a train in the top five because you need the tracks. Like it's not like you can go anywhere.
2: Wait a second. You can't just. To, to, Thomas the train Can you ride him
0: I don't think I think he tows stuff I don't think people Are riding in him
2: Okay Cause he I mean that, that Yeah would, I don't see I don't think, That'd be an honorable mention at, at the very least For me
0: Thomas the tank Thomas the tank. Wait is Is Thomas the The guy that they were like Chugga 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 chug. I think I can Is that Thomas I, I think, so. I, can. Yeah, I, think I, so. I can I think I can I think I can Oh, okay. I forget sometimes. Um Aladdin's carpet. The magic carpet.
2: Yeah, that's not that's not bad. I you know. Yeah. I also just looking over it's a list right. like The Jurassic Park uh vehicle. I mean that's pretty iconic.
0: No. I don't care about that. <laughs> okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of profoundly pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance Please leave a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. And there's so many fictional vehicles. Let us know what you think should be in the top five. Santa's sleigh is really hard not to put at number one if you're going to get right down to fictional vehicles. But Mario Kart, Mario Kart be fun as hell.